a change. Well, turn with me to John chapter 21. We are winding down uh, our study of the book of John. I don't even remember when I started it, but uh, we're getting close. Uh, between today and next week, we will finish John uh, chapter 21, and then we'll move into a couple of topical things. I have a prophecy series that I want to do, uh, still working, uh, hopefully. Pray that I get all that ironed out this week. I've got, I've got like multiple Word documents open. I've got different uh, things laid out and uh, kind of putting all that together, so I need the Lord's help. I appreciate your prayers, and uh, we'll finish this book, and then we'll be getting into some other studies. I'll announce that very soon, but let's pick up with where we left off. We've got today and next week to, to wrap this up, uh, but some powerful things we want to hear from Jesus before we close the book on the book of John. So picking up with where we uh, left off last week, we read through verse 14. I'll pick it up with verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a shepherd, that we are your sheep, that we have your word to settle forever in heaven, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray, Lord, that your word would do its work here this morning. We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be poured out. We thank you for what you did in the 830 service. Lord, we pray that you would magnify your name once again and that, Lord, you would draw us near to you. You'd purify us individually and collectively. Lord, our love for you would be purified and it would grow. We'd leave here more in love with you than when we came and, Lord, more surrendered to you. I ask for your anointing, your help. I could never do this without the help of your spirit. Cast out every distraction, Lord, that each and every person would hear from your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. As breakfast concludes... There on that beautiful shore of Galilee, the disciples have now been filled. They've been nourished by the food that Jesus has provided. Their hands, their bodies, their clothes that were wet have now been warmed and dried by the fire of coals that we saw last week that he's provided. Their net is now full of fish that he's provided. Now, if they had ancient bank accounts back then, like we do now, or modern freezers like we do now, they could have stored all that fish in the freezer. They could have had their bank accounts and their appliances filled up that have gone from completely empty to sufficiently ready for the weeks ahead. Their minds are now at ease because of Jesus' presence, his power, his encouragement, and all that he's provided. But as we talked about last week in the opening verses of chapter 21, Jesus has remained on the earth because he still has some parting reminders, some reinforced lessons, some instructions, some unfinished business to address, notably restoring Peter, who at this point might be wondering, at least not as much restoring him, but putting him back into the office that he's been called into. 
At this point, Peter might be wondering if he should permanently return to fishing in the Sea of Galilee, given how he failed Jesus the night of the arrest and interrogation of his Savior. Now, but Jesus knew in advance how everything was going to go. We don't even know how the next four hours are going to go, do we? We don't even know how the next ten minutes are going to go. But Jesus knew how everything was going to go related to Peter, the other disciples, from that upper room gathering where they were all there, Judas going and leaving to betray him, all the way to this gathering here on the shore of Galilee. Everything has happened exactly according to schedule. Their lives, their location, this precise setting, all of it was mapped out by Jesus. Everything that's transpired in the death of Jesus, in his stunning resurrection, as well as their failures, their survival up until this point. And now they're processing what comes next. How are we going to get on when Jesus leaves? What are we going to do when he goes back to the Father? How does that even look? These men, Peter and the others, are right where Jesus had planned them to be. If you're here this morning, you're exactly where Jesus wants you to be. And I know this because you're hearing from his word. And I know he wants you to hear from me. He doesn't care if you hear from me, but he definitely cares that you hear from his word. And now, Jesus will take a turn from fish to sheep. Fish to sheep. And just as Jesus is the one that equally fills the nets, he's also the one that cares for his flock. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning. The shepherd loves and leads his sheep. Understand that spiritually speaking, fishing is seeking the lost. As we looked at last week when they, they had this great catch of fish. And shepherding is ministering to and strengthening the saved. Fishing, reaching the lost, shepherding, strengthening the saved. And both will continue in unison as they have for the last 2,000 years. Both will continue in unison, fishing, shepherding, fishing, shepherding, fishing, shepherding, all the way until Jesus returns. The only reason you're shepherded now is someone went fishing for you. Somebody invited you to church. Someone shared with you the gospel. Someone gave you a Bible. Someone... That was the fishing part, but then comes the, oh, now I'm a sheep, the being shepherded part. In fact, seeking the lost and ministering to the saved is the combined work, reaching the lost, ministering to the saved, that's the combined work of this term you've heard a million times, making disciples. Making disciples. Everybody's familiar with uh, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Go, therefore out into the world, out into the sea, out into the lost. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Which nations? All of them. Belgium, Cambodia, Zambia, Australia, even California. It's not a, it's not a, I love to pick on California. It's not even a country. I know that. It's like its own thing in America. But you know, It's bigger than everything else. It's got more people. It's got more everything. You know, but uh, sorry, you Californians. We love you. you we're here because the Calvary Chapel was born there, so we understand. We have a great love, but 
And I know it's not a country, but its own thing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, here's the discipleship part, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that will be with us to the end of the age. Amen. So you have that dual work of fishing for the lost and ministering to the saved. You have the dual work of launching out to reach those without Christ and the ongoing work of teaching those who have come to Christ to now observe and to grow and to walk in his commands. I don't care how long you've been saved, you're still being discipled. Sam, has been, he's been discipling me for years. I, he, he still has things he can learn, and he still has things he can pass on, and so this continues. Uh, but thus, the making and strengthening of disciples is just as much only a work of Jesus as going from zero f- fish to 153 in the net. In other words, you, can't, you can go out and witness to everyone in the world and not get one person to believe in Jesus, and you can try and disciple someone, but if they don't want to be a disciple, then it won't work either. But if the Holy Spirit moves on their heart, and they say, I want to receive Christ, or if the Holy Spirit moves on a person's heart, and they say, I now want to grow in Christ, then you can make disciples. In other words, it has to be the Holy Spirit. Now, we have our orders. Jesus says, do these things, and I will empower it, but you can't make it happen. It has to be a work of the Spirit. Only God, and a, and only God can enable it. Now, with that understanding as a backdrop, Let's look back at our text and the conversation here that Jesus initiates with Peter. As I mentioned last week, Jesus, throughout his life and throughout his ministry, he would ask questions that he already knew the answer to. Amen? He would ask people, do you want to be healed? He knew what their answer was going to be. But he would ask these questions. And remember, we saw this last week when he called out the boat. Children, do you have any food? He knew they didn't have any food. He knew they had fished all night. He knew they had been completely unsuccessful. But he asked them, so we have this relevant example, even earlier the same morning. None of the questions that Jesus ever asked of people or still asks of people is for him to learn something about them or their situation or what they're thinking or what they might be feeling. He already knows all that. Jesus' questions were always and are always to help the person he's questioning learn something about themselves. You don't need a therapist. You need Jesus to ask you some questions. You need the Word of God to open your eyes. You need the Word of God to open your understanding. You need the Word of God to test where your heart is. Jesus' questions were always to help the person take an individual look into their own heart and their own motives to see where they are really at, not where you say you're at, where you're really at. The night of Peter's denying Jesus three times. Jesus, remember, told him early in the night how the whole night was going to go. Peter's like, here's the deal. These other guys don't love you near as much as I do. I'll go to the death. They will not. And Jesus said, Hold on. before this night ends, a rooster is going to crow, and you'll deny me three times. Jesus told him he would stumble and deny him, but, and this is a huge but and a gracious but, Jesus had told Peter, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Isn't that encouraging? So encouraging. And 
In other words, Peter would have a monumental failure, one that we're still talking about. And he wished sometimes we would stop talking about it, but one that we're still talking about. He'd have this monumental failure of a night, but by grace and by the protection of Jesus, he would not have the utter failure of his faith. Whom the Lord loves, he's going to keep. Amen? Yes, he had a failing moment, but his faith did not collapse. But we have to imagine that Peter at this point, he's not quite sure how he'll be used going forward, or even if Jesus wants to even give him any responsibility, given his denial and that disaster of a night. Understand that Jesus had already forgiven and restored him. This is not as much restoration, although restoration's in view here. It's more about re-putting him back into his commission, re-putting him back into the pulpit, re-putting him back into service. But he's already been forgiven. Remember, Jesus already appeared a couple times, and you know he already looked at Peter and has forgiven him, probably embraced him. We don't have all the details, but he's already forgiven. But here's the thing. Peter had publicly denied Jesus and publicly said, these guys will fail you and I will not. So Jesus is now going to publicly put him back in commission because they are wondering, can he be trusted? The other disciples are probably wondering, do you remember what he said that night, right? Do you really want to put him back? I mean, if he, maybe he should drop a few rungs. Aren't you glad that Jesus not only forgives us, but in restoration he puts us back in use, back in service, back on the path he's called us to. And his opening question to Peter and the subsequent questions that he has for Peter, it's imperative for Peter's self-examination. The scriptures, by the way, you may or may not be aware, command us to examine ourselves. When we pray for revival, we're hoping that our country will examine its own behavior its own actions, its own stubbornness, its own rebellion, its own, but not the nation, each person in the nation. Amen? I don't care if you're in the White House or in Supreme Court or you're a Hollywood executive or you're a business tycoon or whatever, or you're a nobody, God wants each person to examine where they're really at in light of the Word of God, in light of the Gospel. Now, Peter's already saved. You might already be saved. You might already be born again, but the Bible still wants us to examine ourselves. I put three passages up on the screen. You can see them. To examine, man is to, ex- is to examine himself. We are to examine ourselves, plural, the, the body of Christ. Let each examine his own work. Lord, why am I doing this? Is it really for you? Is it for me? Is it for something? Is it for mother, some other want or some prideful reason you see we're not to ignore Peter had failed miserably yes we're not to ignore or bury our failures but we're to bring our failures to Jesus say Lord I have failed you I don't know what to do next and Jesus I, I just want you to be honest and I'll, I'll give you the next steps and Jesus will gently but firmly confront where we're at. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He corrects, but then directs. Now, in parallel to the repeated question 
that Jesus asks of Peter, the commands that Jesus gives here, so he has questions and commands. So he has three questions and he has three commands in the passage that we just read. But the commands that Jesus will give here are in recommissioning, reusing, and re-empowering Peter, who likely thinks he's in line for a severe demotion. You ever gone to an annual review and you're like sweating it? Like, this is not going to go well. I'm looking at, if all things go well, I just hold steady, right? If, if you've had some failures, and maybe they weren't even your fault, but you still get to own the bag for them. I was in corporate America for like 16 years, and there was times where I, I can guarantee you what happened was not my fault, and I still had to own it. This one was Peter's fault. It was his fault. But we are to respond with humility, with repentance, with teachability. Come, Lord, say, Lord, I repent. I, I, I just want to be teachable. The Lord will graciously reestablish us if our heart is in that manner. Let me say, there is no one who restores like Jesus. There is no one who really re-restores and puts people back in place or even can do, and no one can accomplish multiple things at the same time like Jesus. You know, have you ever noticed, like, he can do one thing, and it has this multitude effect in a life. Go back to verse 15 here. Uh, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? With all that he's going to do here, he starts off by asking Peter this question, do you love me more than these? But he addresses him as Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus had changed his name from Simon to Peter. Peter means rock. Jesus had made him a rock. He, he was not quite a rock the night of the rest. He failed three times. But Jesus had changed his name. But Peter's probably wondering, again, am I usable? Can I be reused? And Jesus takes him all the way back to when he had first called him. Remember when you were Simon? Who found you? He goes all the way back. Sometimes Jesus will take you all the way back to when he first found you. That's what I've loved about the Jesus Revolution. It's taken many people back to, uh, way back to their own, when they, when they, when they first came to Christ, when, when they first surrendered their lives, when, ah, uh, that's that first love feeling, that first love faith. But he takes him back, Simon, son of Jonah. Peter's like, no one's called me that in three years. He goes back to calling Peter out of his old life. We can never forget our salvation. We shouldn't, that the Lord found us and saved us and changed us. But he says to Peter, Simon, you could say Simon Peter as well, Simon, do you love me more than these? You see, our work, our, work, our walk, our service to the Lord is always to be based on love. And it's because Jesus first and perfectly loved us amen loved us enough to die for us and save us and cleanse us but that love is reciprocal and the more we love him the more we can be entrusted with his kingdom his service his commands we can't definitively say who or what these things are. Jesus said, do you love me more than these? 
Is Jesus speaking of the great catch of fish? Is he speaking of the disciples? What Peter had already said, he loved him more than those guys did. Is that who he speaks? Is that the, the, more than these men? Personally, because there's a different, different schools of thought on this, personally, given the context of the previous passages we looked at last week and the verses that are coming in 18 and 22 where Jesus is going to compare what's going to happen in the future with Peter's life, what's going to happen in John's life, I believe Jesus is speaking not in comparison of his love versus the other men. I don't think Jesus compares us that way. But these, I believe, and most uh, commentaries, uh, I always do my study, I do all my study generally, and then when I'm done, I will then look at commentaries, I'll look at other sources to see you know, what other uh, men down through the ages have thought about the same text. But uh, given the context, I personally think that... Um, Jesus is speaking of the many fish that they have just caught. The value of the catch, 153 large fish, the cash value of the catch. His prior profession as a fisherman, because he's now walked away from that, but he's wondering, should he go back to that? The provisions of breakfast, Jesus has fed them, the warm fire, the food. In other words, does Peter love Jesus, who's his Savior and his Restorer, more than physical things, his former life, and self-preservation. Do you love me more than self-preservation? Do you love me more than the things that you could have or used to have or might have? And do you love me more than the things that I've done for you or could do for you? Well, I'd love Jesus if he gave me a new car. <laughs> I'd love Jesus if he gave me a bigger house and a better raise and all that. There's preachers that build an entire ministry off of that nonsense. Yeah. You ever seen this? The whole thing is about, if you do this, God's going to give you all this. Jesus is not promising any of that. He said, do you love me? More than these things. Does Peter love Jesus more than the physical world? And more than the blessings that can even come from Jesus? This is important because sometimes life doesn't go real pretty, does it? Sometimes life is times of trials and difficulties and seasons that come our way. He warned of that in the upper room. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, not might. You will have tribulation. You will have times where someone gets cancer, someone dies, a relationship in your family is causing everybody else a lot of heartache. It's actually the difficulty that got Peter off track in the first place. Remember the night. He was trying to protect himself. If they find out I'm a Christian, I might go to the cross. So I need to start cursing. He literally did that. Sorry, Peter. We're not trying to pick. You and I have all, you and I have all done just as dumb a things, haven't we? He goes on to be a great saint of the Lord. So it's not like this is the end of the story. This is Jesus putting him back. But he was trying to protect himself rather than loving Jesus and trusting Jesus that night. He had to start to figure out a way to manufacture his escape plan, so he started denying Jesus. The Greek word that Jesus uses here is agapeo. It means to love dearly. It is a sacrificial love. It's the, it's the love definition that God speaks of, of his love for humanity. But Peter responds with the word 
phileo. Jesus said, do you love me more than these? And then Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know, all, you know that I love you. Peter's response is not agapeo. He doesn't say, yes, I love you dearly and sacrificially. He says phileo, which means to like, to, to approve of, to be kindly, affectionate, or, or befriend. Peter's saying, yes, Lord, you know that I like you a lot. I like you a lot. And I fully approve of you, and I endeavor to be your friend. So Jesus answers him, it's up on the screen, feed my lambs. Notice whose lambs they are. My lambs. I, I do not like when I hear pastors say, my church, my flock, my people, my this, my that. Uh, everything belongs to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Uh, you don't belong to me, and I don't belong to you, and yet we belong to each other. I hope that all makes sense. Yeah. If you, I don't have time to describe all what I just said there. <laughs> I just hope in the spirit you understand. You, you don't belong to me, I don't belong to you, but yet we belong to each other. In other words, we're connected, but we all are Jesus' sheep. And all of us are reporting to him as our shepherd. We're depending upon him as our shepherd but he says, my sheep. He doesn't say, Peter, your sheep. He said, your, your job is to feed my sheep. If you're a parent and you have kids, those kids belong to the Lord. Amen. Your job is to feed them. Amen. But they belong to the Lord. He's the one that gave them to you. The Lord giveth, the Lord can take away in anything. Amen. Just on something to understand. No church, no flock, no body of believers belongs to a pastor or some pastoral staff. The church body now and forever belongs to Jesus. It belongs to him. He's the savior. He's the restorer. He's the shepherd. And to go briefly back to the previous scene, Jesus has shown Peter in this miraculous foreshadow that we looked at last week uh, that he and the others that were with him, the other disciples, of course, uh, are also going to be fishers of men. So they had this great fish where they couldn't catch anything all night. They're exhausted. They're weary. They're frustrated. Then Jesus says, cast the net on the other side, and a, a 153 fish jumped into the net. Not a single one of them's lost. The net doesn't break. But Jesus, that was a foreshadow that Jesus was going to make these men, as he had already said early in his ministry, fishers of men, that they would then see souls come in to the kingdom. But the ultimate fisher of men is Jesus. The altar, ultimate fisher of men is Christ himself. He's the one that's come down from heaven into the world to seek and save that which is lost. Who is lost? And to bring any person that's lost that's come to Christ into the net of salvation. If you're saved, Jesus has brought you into the net of salvation. It was his spirit that drew you. He might have used a person. He might have used a track. He might have used a Gideon Bible in the, in the hotel room, whatever it may be. But he is the one that brought you into the kingdom. Amen? Amen? So he's the ultimate fisher of men. And Peter's call as an apostle was to go forth with another net. We go forth with the net of the gospel. We're brought into the net of the kingdom, but we go forth with the net of the gospel. But since Jesus is far from finished with Peter, which is great to know, Peter's ministry is just beginning, actually. He may not understand that at the moment, but but Peter, as he's called into, and Jesus is going to put him back into the office, back into this commission, Peter has a complementary role, and it's a parallel role, that he will remain a fisher of men throughout his entire life, 
but Peter's also now been called and commissioned to be a shepherd. Fisherman and a shepherd. That's that dual work of making disciples. Reaching the lost, building up the saved. And it's really, he's an under-shepherd. You guys have heard that term, right? An under-shepherd. So um, we understand that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd. I am a shepherd. He is the shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. He is the shepherd. He's, a, he's the good shepherd. Now that he's the great shepherd, as it says there in Hebrews 13, 20. And by the way, I wanted to point out, when you look at Hebrews 13, 20, it's interesting. I want to read it verbatim. The God of peace, which is a wonderful title for the Lord, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. There's a lot of richness in that verse. You could preach for days because every single word in it is, is just powerful. But here's the thing. You see the reference to the resurrection and Jesus as the shepherd. Peter, the first three times he preaches in the book of Acts, he speaks of the resurrection. First three times. Jesus rose from the dead to save, but he also rose from the dead to shepherd his flock. Does that make sense? In other words, without the resurrection, he doesn't move forward with the flock. But because he conquered the grave and because he conquered sin, then he gathers his sheep into the sheepfold and leads them beside still waters. But he has to rise first to take on every mantle that he does, high priest, king, shepherd. Now, he was those things before the cross because he's from everlasting. But the kind of understanding of it is that there has to be the resurrection for him to gather his flock. And someday when the rapture of the church, he'll gather his flock there in the clouds. But he rose to shepherd, and now he is teaching the apostles that they will be shepherds. But Jesus said of himself, he said, I am the good shepherd. That was one of the I am statements, the seven I am statements in the ministry of Jesus. And yet, Jesus for a little while here has not restated his teaching and, or in his teaching, uh, his role as shepherd since going back to John chapter 10. So you actually won't see him use that picture of himself from John 10 until now. He does not mention shepherd or sheep uh, from John 10 until this point. But he comes back to it. And by the way, that's a really effective teaching method. Some of you are school teachers. Some of you have to teach in your job. And you know that you teach something and you might kind of let it marinate for a little while, and you come back to it again, and then you let it marinate, and you come back to it again. You come, and if you're parents, you do this for a lifetime. Say, <laughs> I am pretty sure we've talked about this. Remember what we said. This is how this works. It always works like this. It'll never not work like this, right? And Jesus is like, I'm never not going to be your shepherd. I told you in John 10, I'm retelling you again. But he hasn't restated it since then. But in these closing days, because he's going to ascend back to the Father very soon, in these closing days, he returns this paramount visual, which is why I highly recommend, if you haven't seen, we did it on Wednesday night, The Soul Shepherd. It was a blessing. I've watched it like six times now. Uh, go into YouTube, type Soul Shepherd, watch it. If you're watching online, YouTube. Not, not watch right now. Watch it after the service <laughs> is over. But, uh, but you can go type in Soul Shepherd, and uh, on YouTube, and Joel Kramer does an incredible job of tying all the verses and the picture of what Jesus is as a shepherd, and just as importantly, if not more importantly, what we are as sheep. 
But Jesus returns to the critical understanding that his church is a weak and fragile flock. Can I get an amen on that? His church is a weak and fragile flock. We all are individually weak and fragile sheep that need to be fed, that need to be led, that need to be protected by his hand. And in this lifetime, his hand is this book led by his spirit. Amen? Amen. His hand in your life is this word of God led by the Holy Spirit. That is his hand in your life. Say, I don't have time to read the Bible. Then you don't have his hand on your life. The hand of God is his word and the spirit, and that's what leads us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. That is how he leads us in this lifetime. They had him physically there, but he's about to be gone. That's why he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, that the spirit would illuminate the word of God, and that would be his uh, empowering of them. So he says to Peter, you're now going to demonstrate your love, because he said, feed my lambs. You're gonna now going to demonstrate your love for me by obeying me. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say in other place? Uh, you can't say that you love the Lord, but won't do what he says. Jesus says, you're going to now demonstrate this love by obeying me, by accepting the call. I'm calling you to be a shepherd. You don't think you're worthy of it. You think you're going to fall flat on your face a hundred more times. It doesn't matter what you think. I've already called you into it. Some of you thought when you first got pregnant, God is making a mistake. This young couple is not meant to, to teach anyone how to do life, right? Remember when you were young and you had your first kid and you're like, there's no way. But God saw enough to say, I'm going to entrust you and teach you how to do this. And even if you get to write the book on how to do it wrong, you're still going to learn somewhere along the way. But he says, I, I want you to obey. You're, I've called you. You're going to have to accept this role first to be a fisherman. Second, to be a, a shepherd, or more importantly, an under-shepherd. And the way Peter will fulfill this role as an under-shepherd is to teach the sheep, he says, the lambs here, the words and character and commands of Jesus. When I teach the Word of God every Sunday morning or Wednesday, I want to teach the words of God, the commands of God, and the character of Jesus. And the character of God the Father and and the Spirit, of course. But if Peter does that, if he's teaching the character and nature of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the words of God and the commands of God, not altering them, doesn't matter what society thinks anymore. We're going to say what the Word of God says. I could care less what America thinks about it. This is what God's Word says. That's what we're going to teach. So you do that, and the people of God will remain in the pasture of God. Amen? Amen. They'll be fed by the bread of heaven and living water. Now, if Peter says, you know what? I hear all that. Job's too big too much pressure, I don't want it. Then he'd prove that he loves himself and not Jesus. Because Jesus says, I want you to feed my lambs. Oh, I'd like to, but that's a lot of work. I have a lot of, I'll have a lot of oppression from Satan if I do that. I'm going to lose some sleep. I'm going to have all this stuff happen, and I'm probably going to deny you one or two more times, so I'm not going to do it at all. Now let's not forget, Peter himself is a sheep. And he's called to teach sheep. So it's sheep feeding, leading, and teaching sheep. This is great to know also as a parent. Because your sheep are just like you, the sheep. Uh, 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 I'll stop there. But anyway. <laughs> I had some random thought. Like, Pull that back. Uh, but it's Peter's job. It's Peter's job to simply point to what Jesus has said. But he himself has to say really close to the shepherd to be an under-shepherd. 
not just teach what Jesus said, he has to stay really close to the shepherd. This is why some of the pastors in America, they're not really pastors. They're not even close to Jesus. You can tell because they don't use the word of God. That's how I know they're nowhere near. And this first of nearly three identical commands of Jesus is directed first, as, as I mentioned, to lambs. Why lambs? Well, lambs, I don't know if you know or not, lambs are sheep that are less than a year old. You ever heard lamb, baby lambs? Lambs are less than a year old. All lambs are sheep, but not all sheep are lambs. Okay? So they're less than a year old. In other words, Jesus is saying, pay very close attention to the children and the young in the faith. Anyone cause these little ones to stumble, it would be better than a millstone be tied around their neck. He says, be very careful. I want you to be very focused. I love all these new children's ministry signs that are outside there, pointing everybody. I want you to take really good care of the young ones, both age-wise and equally important, if not more importantly, the young in the faith. Give them the sincere milk of the word. Take care of the lamb. Because Satan's trying to destroy our young people in this country, and he wants to destroy anyone who follows Christ. They go back to their friends and say, I gave my life to Jesus. What are you, idiot? You're gonna no, no more fun for you. And then they want to go back to the world. Jesus says they need to be built up in the faith. The kids, the young, all important. Verse 16, uh, these last two verses, let's uh, take a quick look. And he said to them a second, he said to him a, a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, You changed the wording here. Tend my sheep. Now, instead of feed my lambs, it's tend my sheep. Same animal, same calling, still part of the pastoral calling here. And Jesus says it again, do you agape on me? Do you, sometimes, sometimes you might just use the word agape, but do you agape on me? And Peter says back, he uses his same word, yes, I phileo, I like you a lot. But Jesus expands from lambs to now sheep and goes from feed to tend. Because now he's saying the whole, the whole flock needs the same word, whether they're young, young in the faith, young, doesn't matter how old they are, the whole flock needs the same word. And from feeding to tending, this is another nuance, another aspect of shepherding. This is the broader role that includes ministering to, the hard work of discipleship. Right, Zach? Hard work. Serving. Showing hospitality, washing feet, picking ticks out of the wool, right, Pastor Trevor? And, uh, like, uh, it's not so much that, that they're real ticks, it's, it's the things that you have to get in the messy part of life. Tending, bandaging, funerals, heartaches, all of that. That's the tending. Verse 17, last verse. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Peter's like really bummed out by this because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Like you already know. Why are we even asking it? You know what I think. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter might have thought that the questions and instructions from Jesus were completed, but he turns to him this third and final time. You see, Peter had denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Jesus affirms him in his love three times. And the thing was, this, uh, he's fully addressing Peter's past that night of the three failures there. 
by addressing him in the present, but also towards the future. And because Peter had denied him publicly, he's asking him publicly these three times. So, so everything is restored. The other disciples hear the conversation. They see. But he comes down to Peter's level this third time. He doesn't say, do you agape me? This is amazing. Jesus leans forward and says, do you phileo me? Now, he already knows the answer. That's already been answered twice. He says at his level, Jesus moves from agapeo to mirroring the word for love that Peter has used in his two previous answers. Peter, do you like me and have great affection for me? See, Peter is far more cautious now. Have you ever failed and not really after that wanted to be near as confident as you were before the failure? You know, uh, I, people, my team will never lose. Then they lose. They'll never win, right? That's how fast it changed. Like, we will never lose to now we will never win. But you failed. And Peter's like, he's afraid to say agape when he doesn't trust himself. You ever not trust your own self? Like, say, look, I want to do, I want to love Jesus with all my heart. But the reality is if I make that commitment, I'm liable to give up by Tuesday. He's a lot more cautious. He, he's measured. He, he has a hesitation based on his past failure. So he doesn't want to say agape because he's not sure he can live up to it. But here's the thing, and I told the first service. I, I don't know how to explain this. I just hope the Holy Spirit does it. Jesus knows how much you love him already. And he knows if you're playing games. And he knows if you're serious. Peter seriously wants to love Jesus. And Jesus knows Peter wants to love Jesus. And because of that, he's going to love Jesus. Beyond where he's at, he's going to move in a direction. He's going to grow. But he says to them, in, in saying this, he's also saying, look, he keeps using love because he wants love to be the motivation of serving Jesus, not to get anything from God, not to prove anything, not to be important, whatever it may be. It has to be because you love Jesus. If you're going to serve children, if you're going to work, work, work on the worship team, if you're going to greet people, do it because you love Jesus. Don't do it for Calvary Chapel, Richmond. Don't do it for me. Do it for the Lord. It has to be service unto the Lord. If it's not, it becomes tainted. It becomes something that after a while becomes poisoned, if you will, because it begins to have a fleshly motive. And they teach him it has to be a love for the Lord. But he says in this final time, feed my sheep. Now he kind of in, it kind of folds in the first and the second all into one. So feed includes everything. Tending includes the lamb. You see, he's telling Peter that love is an action. As Peter preaches, as he pastors, as he shepherds, as he ministers, as he gets his hands dirty, all of it will be because he's doing it in obedience to the Lord. And if you're going to love Jesus, the only way to grow in loving Jesus is to start doing what he says to do. Amen? So I don't really feel like doing it. That's not what he asked. He says, just go feed, go tend, go do these things. Open your Bible, get on your knees and pray, uh, listen to a Bible study, go to church. Well, I don't really feel like it. He doesn't ask that. I'll close with this. J. Vernon McGee, you guys probably heard, he was on the radio for like 40-some years or something, but J. Vernon McGee, Dr. McGee said, Simon Peter had failed the Lord. Actually, the Lord could no longer have confidence in him, but he loved him. Oh, how he loved him. Because Jesus loved him, he could, when you really love someone, you can look past their failures. Amen? Amen. Amen. Man, when you love someone, you can help get them restored. But if you're going to just lord over them and not love them, there's really no chance of getting them back 
to where they need to be. But he loved him. He said, my love is going to restore you. My love is going to... And Peter will not go back to that. He's going to fail. He's not going to go back to that level of failure because Jesus has been so gracious to him. And that's the way he wants Peter to serve other people the same way he, Jesus has uh, served him. And because uh, Jesus loves Peter and restores him and repairs him and reinvests in him and resends him and leads him, it's so Peter would lead others in the same exact manner. The same way Jesus has washed feet, Peter, he wants Peter to have that when someone fails. And, and everyone in this room, you failed someone and someone has failed you. Amen? If you love them, you can actually be helpful and them being restored. And by the way, you'll be restored in the same manner because you're not holding on to something. Of course, Jesus is the only one that's never held on to anything. He's perfect, but he is showing by model, this is the way you're going to serve the flock, the same way I am loving you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this individual life which we can relate to with failure but Lord what, what you did in restoring Peter and what you did in recommissioning him it shows us Lord uh, your great love for your sheep and Lord we want to love you and maybe in this room many of us like you a lot but really can't say love and Lord we pray that uh, in the deep recess of our heart we can say with an earnest truth I want to love you Jesus I want to serve you I want to obey you. And Lord, if that is genuine, you will take that and you'll grow it. You will water it. You will fertilize it. It will become a deeper love. It will become a more sacrificial. It will be moving from phileo to agape. Uh, 